Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film, the film review podcast from a female perspective. I'm your host, Anna Smith. This episode is our second in partnership with Scala Radio, recorded in our virtual studio during lockdown. Today I'll be speaking to three talented female composers who play with a variety of styles, from electronic beats to sweeping strings. Isabel Waller-Bridge, Anne Nicotin and Rachel Portman. Our first guest was described by The Guardian as one of the UK's most exciting young composers. She scored films including Chania Button's Vita in Virginia and this year's adaptation of Emma by Autumn DeWild. And of course, Fleabag, written by her sister Phoebe. Welcome to Girls on Film, Isabel Waller-Bridge. Hello, thank you. Oh, I'm so glad to have you on the show. How are you doing in lockdown? Um, I'm good, actually. I sort of... Yeah, I'm but better than I was, definitely. I think um, I've really sort of adjusted, and now I'm finding the piece quite sort of stabilizing I don't know I've, I'm, I'm sort of enjoying it I know there's an awful lot of you know there are a lot there's lots going on still but um but certainly in my little like world my pod uh I'm quite happy I'm very glad to hear that very glad to hear that well thanks for keeping the listeners company today um tell us a bit about your career when did you begin composing um oh well <laughs> I think um I probably like just sort of for fun when did I really start? I mean, that's, I sort of, I kind of think it's sort of, I've always been doing it. Well, I was doing it at university. I went, to, I studied composition at university, but before then, you know, I was writing bits and pieces, you know, in, as a teenager, because I started learning the piano when I was four. And then I think with, you know, with sort of that sort of thing, you end up, oh, I certainly was, I ended up kind of improvising and, and doing like bits and pieces. And then, yeah, and then when I was sort of, uh, maybe... 11 or something so I don't really know actually when I sort of started but but definitely but I you know I was doing things before I went to university um and I was composing at school lots and but not professionally until kind of you know after uni but it's always been your vocation clearly quite a calling yeah it really um it really was it it was literally from the very beginning it was something it was either you know because I was I was sadly not uh, I'm not as good anymore but I was quite a serious pianist and uh yeah and it was like I was on a sort of music scholarship and I like got a scholarship to the Royal Academy and I you know so it was really like but I think it was just like all I was doing for it was like all every single minute of every day I was in a practice room wow basically. yeah <laughs> really it really suited me though <laughs> and now you're in a studio every day presumably or and now I'm in a studio yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> Um, and congratulations on your diverse and wonderful work. You've scored a few period pieces um, in, in a modern style, which, which is interesting. Obviously, Vita and Virginia's score is predominantly electronic. Um, what do you enjoy about that in particular? What do you think it brings? Well, I think it's been interesting to me to do, to, to, to be working on period pieces, 
and and working with the different directors who have had sort of different visions for the music. So so in each on each project, so um, I suppose Vanity Fair and Beach in Virginia and Emma are the kind of those are the sort of big but even ABC Murders was was period as well. But um the the directors all all had a really clear vision of what they wanted and um with Vanity Fair it made total sense to me that the music should be a bit more modern because a they had they'd already chosen these songs to kind of bookend each episode well there was the sort of theme song which was a which was a contemporary song and then at the end of each episode they they'd already chosen these contemporary songs so the music the score sort of had to sort of bridge the gap I think between you know all the period the period aesthetic like modern music on a period aesthetic can be a bit distracting so it's really important that that does make sense and Vanity Fair it totally made sense because of the contemporary songs and with Vita and Virginia it really made sense what Chanya wanted to do because she 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 deliberately at the beginning of the process said we don't want it to be a period score and that there can't be any piano in it um, and that it shouldn't be sort of noticeably feminine or you know or particularly beautiful really because she she really wanted the sound of the score to really be coming from the souls of the two protagonists from the two women um and they were you know radical in their choices you know in their personal lives and so 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 that also really made sense to sort of really tap into that rather than just to kind of create a picture of the period that makes absolute sense yeah 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 good (laughs) um it was really enjoyable to do but it definitely with beach in virginia that was um we were a bit we were really nervous about it because um vanity fair not so much because we were because there was it was a bit more sort of gentle it was a bit like i was using kind of instruments that were of the period it was just that the kind of tone of the music was maybe a little bit more modern but sort of like the tonality and the harmonies and that sort of thing, but um, because Beach in Virginia is essentially like an EDM score, <laughs> it's like all completely electronic with a, you know a small string section. But um, we were we were a bit nervous about that. But then the producers just kept saying, "Keep going, keep going, we love it." So that that was reassuring. Um, it's bold and brilliant. I love it. Thank yeah. you. Now, of course, we have to talk about Fleabag. Were you involved with that musically right from the start? Or at what stage did Phoebe get you involved? Well, because it was a play first, the sort of fabric of Fleabag had sort of been... I mean, it's really now been around for about 10 years, I think, with us. And there was a bit of music in the play. There was sort of like some sort of elevator music, um, but it was mainly a sort of sound design that I'd done. Um, and then with... The, when it went to, it was about a couple of years in the for the for the pilot to be made, sort of when it was picked up from Edinburgh, and we'd I think because it was it was just always such a, um, it had just been sort of hanging around us for a while. It was just like a real part of our lives by then. So by the time Phoebe and I started talking about the music um, for the series, we knew that it wasn't going to be there wasn't going to be that much in series one. Um, that it should so it was just like the first two and a half seconds the titles which is like a sort of scrambled um sort of like jazzy egg on the thing um (laughs) that was yeah and then it was just the you know the guitar music at the end and then series two was a 
bit different. We knew that there'd be more score. But always from very really early on, you know, I, I, I like, you know, exactly the same as the play, I just always read the scripts before I'd started working. What's it like working with your sister? It's, um, well, it's really, it's really wonderful because we've, we get along like really, really well. You know, she's one of my closest friends. And so we sort of, and we sort of see the world in quite a similar way. So it, there's actually lots of shortcuts um, in terms of working with, working with her. Often like we don't really need to sort of, we don't really need to talk about that much. You know, we'll just know what, what each other mean with just a few words or like a facial expression or um and and because and there's a lot of trust I think there because we know each other's tastes really well so yeah so and we've also we sort of started collaborating when we were in our teens really um you know writing like little songs together and things like that so so it's just sort of it's just really nice. <laughs> That's lovely. And you're you're in lockdown together, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, we live together. So, uh, so yeah, we've actually been having a really nice time because because both of our lives were so sort of busy, and you know, there's lots of travelling. So this is really the first time in a while that we've actually kind of been able to spend some quality time together, and it's been it's been wicked. It's been really really fun. Oh, that's lovely. I'm glad to hear that. Um, well, Isabel, do stay on the line while we're joined by our next guest. She is an Ivan Novello-nominated composer who created the scores for Bart Layton's The Imposter and American Animals. Hello, Anne Nicodin. Welcome. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Welcome to Girls on Film. Now, you and Isabel know each other, don't you? We do, and I've been fascinated to hear her interview just now. There are Excellent. bits I didn't know. Oh, you learned something, really? What didn't I you did. know? <laughs> <laughs> well, just her writing process. It was really lovely to hear about oh, how she great. does that and um, working on all her amazing films at the moment. I'm really pleased to see her career flourish so well. Well, your career is flourishing. Congratulations. Um, American mm -hmm. Animals, what an extraordinary film. And the score for that, obviously, a, a huge part of its success. Um, can you talk to us about the concept for that one? Um, yeah, so I've worked with Bart um, for a long time because he has a company called Raw and um, they make a lot of drama docs and documentaries. So I started off um, doing those and then we did worked on The Imposter together. Um, and then when American Animals came around, I was kind of prepared for how Bart likes to work. And when he told me he was going to be creating this kind of drama stroke hybrid incorporating documentary elements I was really excited because I know that he's um one of the great things about Bart is that he takes risks as a filmmaker and he likes to push boundaries and I thought this, this is going to be really interesting um so when I read the script I was just blown away I absolutely loved it um so when we met up the first conversation was really about how to marry the two genres the drama and the documentary and that music would have a big role in making that join feel seamless but it wasn't easy it was quite a tough nut to crack as a film as a whole really for, for all of us involved in it um, and we kind of went around in circles a lot but uh, we got there in the end and, and so Bart uses a lot of commercial music in the film and, and it's quite eclectic as well the commercial music he chose 
So my job was to try and um, create a, a score that would that had a continuity and a consistency to it, so that it, the the music didn't feel bitty and um, disparate. So that was quite challenging because there are also so many elements and facets to the film to be aware of. There's you know there's all the the different characters are completely different to each other, and then so they all needed their own themes. And then we had the documentary versus drama genre. Um, and then we had, you know, there's a heist and there's very emotional scenes. So lots of different types of music um, were required for the score. So it was a challenging score. To get to I mean it took a long time to find our way but we got there in the end and yeah it was fun well congrats I would urge any listeners who haven't seen American Animals to seek it out um, for your score but also my husband actually is the visual effects supervisor on American Animals so oh, no small way. world yeah that's <laughs> yeah. brilliant uh, <laughs> small and that's world. not yeah that's not the reason I'm recommending it but I genuinely <laughs> love I genuinely love it but yeah just throw that in Four Kids and It Anne you've been working on um, which is out now on Sky Cinema yeah um, so we're interested in this one is writing music for children's film a very different prospect to projects aimed at adults do you know, it's funny because um, when I got the call, I was really surprised because I'm not known for children's films. I'm sort of, you know, I specialise in the horrors of humanity, <laughs> I seem to. You know, if it's abuse, genocide, I'm your woman. Um, oh but um, so, so it was quite a surprise to get the call to ask if I wanted to do it. And of course, you know, it, it, it looked amazing and the actors in it are fantastic it's a Jacqueline Wilson film um, and and the director was just absolutely lovely and, you know, I jumped at it. But I was really nervous because I think writing essentially a happy music was not something I'd had that much experience in doing and kind of tried to avoid in the past because it's really hard to write happy in a non-cliched way. Um, so I didn't want the score to feel sort of funny plinky plonky that cliched kind of music I want it to feel magical and fun yet still quite mature and classy <laughs> um, so so that was hard so I kind of kept putting off sketching ideas for it um, but Andy the director was just so lovely and supportive and funny and um, so you know the rest of the team as well so they made my job easier just by kind of being open to all sorts of ideas. It was really fun because um, I actually got to use a lot of instruments I'd never used before and do weird and wacky things and get weird sounds out of lots of instruments I'd collected on my travels that had just been sitting there as kind of souvenirs um, and yeah we had a really really fun time scoring this film. What kind of instruments do you collect on your travels I'm intrigued? Um, well, <laughs> well I moved around a lot as a kid so from the age of one I lived in lots of countries and um, in, in sort of the tropics and South Africa and New Zealand and um, so we traveled a lot and my mum for some reason would collect all these instruments everywhere we went 
Um, and I don't know why, because we're not a musical family, and and I, they had no idea that I was going to go into music. I mean, they were horrified when I told really? them. Really? Why were they oh, horrified? Yeah. <laughs> um, because I don't think they thought you could make a living from music. They right. just had no idea. And, you know, neither did I, to be fair. I just didn't know what else I was going to do with my life, because that's all I did want to do. So I took a chance. But... Um, but yeah, so so she and started this collection for me, and then I just kept going. So every time I go somewhere new and I see something weird that you can hit or blow on, or you know, I don't know what they are. <laughs> I just I like them. So they hang around my studio, and they look a bit odd. And um, my studio does look a bit like a secondhand shop, but. It was fun to be able to finally use them. I sort of picked up a few because my dad was in the Navy and we travelled around. So I picked up oh, a few right. things like that on, when I was younger as well. So, yeah, oh, I'm intrigued. Cool. I've got yeah. very little left, but I want to oh. look at yours. I was going to say, you could do an <laughs> instrument swap or something. Oh, sadly, I've got very little left to swap. I've probably beat, beaten all the drums to death and when I was yeah. a kid. But, yeah. Um, well, and it's fascinating chatting to you about this. Um, and I wanted to, to bring Isabel back into the conversation and um, have a chat with you both about what it's like for women in your industry. Uh, I mean, Isabel, let's start with you. Do you think it's harder for women to break into film composing? Um, I think that in the last 10 years, there's been a massive shift. There just wasn't that much visibility for female composers beforehand. And there, you know, I, I actually didn't know that many. I knew, I mean, I knew of, of course, like Anne Dudley and Rachel Portman and, you know, these sort of, those composers who were working and really successful. And then in the contemporary music world, I also, you know, knew of Anna Meredith and Emily Hall and Tansy Davis and Judith Weir. And, and so so there, there were actually a good handful of people that were doing it, but maybe we just weren't being, they weren't being written about as much. I don't know if it's harder to break in because, I don't know if that's right, that it's harder if you're a woman. I just think maybe that the there were maybe lots more men who perhaps kind of could see it as a career for them, sort of about to, you know, sort of, I don't know, in the past, than, than women. Like at school, I wasn't really taught about Clara Schumann. I was really, you know, really taught about the the men. And so, so possibly, I think it's just about um, accessibility ability now or something what do you think Anne? yeah I, i'm nodding <laughs> as you speak um yeah i completely agree isabel i think it was just that they've been there they just haven't been yeah. written about and that and the percentage has been lower and uh, maybe we're talking pre two three years ago because suddenly a lot of women have come out of the woodwork young women the next generation but certainly, same as Isabel, when I was at university, we didn't really learn about any women composers throughout history. Clara Schumann was touched upon a little bit, but a, a lot of my friends never talked about wanting to get into music. My female friends, I must say. A lot of male friends were in bands and wanted to get into music. And then I didn't personally feel anything different as a woman when I got my first commissions, paid commissions as a composer, I felt like my career went quite smoothly from there and my gender wasn't really an issue. In the UK, I think things are very, very different in Hollywood. And when you talk about the bigger budget films and the studio films, that's when there's a complete disparity. Just 
disparity <laughs> what's the word D- disparity. <laughs> disparity yes um, so yeah I think it's it's a different thing in the UK so can you, you explain you that, what you mean about Hollywood sorry um, um so I think the bigger budget films they're more reluctant to hire women composers on and so there have been a, a wave of women doing independent films and um, l- lower to medium budget television um, series and that's all been quite smooth for women composers. And I think there are more and more of us doing these kind of things. But we have yet to break into the top end big budget films. And, you know, you've got Hilda, who did Joker, who's sort of broken into that one. But she's in a minority. So I think there's still a, there's a push that we need to, to do in that uh, top echelon of films but I think at the moment it's it's quite positive. I'm seeing a lot of young women composers coming out and they're writing to me and it's really nice to see mm. them. So, you know, things are changing. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm nodding as well. <laughs> it's I, great radio. Uh, <laughs> I um, Yeah, it's funny because I didn't at university when, because I, I realised only after university that I was the only there were eight of us in the postgrad in that year studying composition and I I had only realized that I was the only girl kind of much later on but it never it was never made a thing of you know you know, mm-hmm. like in the in the way that I mean maybe it I don't know it, it never made me feel weird or or sort of odd or anything like that and then and, and I I'm the same as Anne I think it's when I got my first sort of professional jobs I didn't feel really very aware of my gender then um I think it was just yeah it didn't feel gendered but I but you know you have I'm completely aware and I agree with Anne about America as well I do think that is a bit different but also it's interesting because I think that Joker is a really interesting film as well because that in my not this is a this is actually maybe just talking about films rather than talking about this has got nothing to do with Hilda at all but um it's like it felt quite like a sort of more from the like the independent films because it had it could take those risks and it went mm. and it was very mm. unusual rather it was it didn't feel like a sort of blockbuster marvel movie you yeah know, it didn't. yeah but anyway that's just i think that's just yeah that's cool an interesting point movie. actually to carry on with what isabel was saying i know i've spoken to quite a few women composers our gender has never really been made an issue of before like same as Isabel I never felt like although I was I was definitely the only one in my composition class I also didn't feel weird about it or that I was doing something unusual I just mm. always wondered why there weren't any more women composers um, I just thought why isn't it appealing to them you know that was my kind of question in my head rather than maybe there just aren't the opportunities And I do sometimes feel uncomfortable with being now labelled a woman composer suddenly where Mm. I've always just been a composer and it's um, and I understand that there is a a big need to push women in the film music industry and also the film industry as a whole. There's definitely been a hole there that women need to fill. It has been male dominated in many of the areas there. But at the same time, it's a it's a fine balance. I go through extremes in my head. I think no, this really we really need to work hard to push women into these industries um, that are you know male dominated. But I also just want to be seen as a composer. So um, mm. yeah, I'm always being conflicted in my head. And yeah, then, yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. 
it's so it's a really difficult one isn't it it's because it's like for the visibility there has to be a big push and so suddenly people are all talking about these female composers but but I totally agree with Anne it's sort of like really goes against like for that to it's just like as an identity thing it's, it feels really odd because especially as like what the great not especially but the really the thing that I really love about writing music is that it's not it's like you're kind of you're so behind the scenes you know yeah. you're not performing it you're not doing anything like that so your gender is actually like completely like you're invisible in that kind of way I mean invisible is not a good word and not you're anonymous almost I suppose yeah. yeah exactly there's an anonymity about it and um and I know and I get very confused about the way I feel sometimes about you know female only awards and you know awards just for women and things like that because it's it's good to sort of like shine the, a little bit more light on female composers because there are more people and it does need a bit of extra muscle behind it to show the kind of the Hollywoods and stuff like that that, um, that they exist. But then also I get very afraid of ghettoizing and marginalising and, you know, forever if everyone is just... If, you know, if you're someone who's only won awards in a female in female only categories, it's going to feel so weird and like you're not, you know, you, you won't feel included in... I don't know. It's very. I. I. I don't like the divisions. So are you saying are, are there quite a few female composer, male composer categories in various award places? Well, there are just awards that are that are specifically for uh, only for women. Right. Yes. Yes. It's. I mean, it's. It's an interesting discussion. It's one we've had on Girls on Film before about would would you have a separate female director category at the Oscars, for example, and male directors. But I would share your reservations and similarly. Isabel, in that that's ghettoizing, and it's almost like an acknowledgement that that you are different and that you don't have the same skills. When in fact, we're just people with skills, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. really. Bit, it starts. It does make me a bit angry. Mm. Really Do you think people like have certain ex- expectations of female composers and expect them to bring something different, which is not necessarily the case? I would really question. If somebody said, if somebody expected a oh my god a, like a feminine score from like just because you're a woman, I think I'd like that just make, really makes me want to puke. <laughs> 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 um, and also, I'd really question like that is not. I'd be like that doesn't sound like a very smart or the idea of that a man should only write macho music. It's sort of it's really weird all of that stuff. So. I don't think there's a, a place for that, really. I don't yeah. think that's... Unfortunately, sounds... people, some people do think that way, I, I, I think. And I have had a male composer ask me why women can't write action music. And I don't know if he was just goading me, but I don't think he was. And oh I was quite gosh. shocked. I thought, so oh, what? And then, and then when I spoke to quite a lot of women at Sundance about what it's like to live in LA they're all LA based they said oh yeah we get that all the time and I, I was really surprised God. about the comments that, that are made to them over there like um, they were saying that they're often told they can't they're not hired for the bigger budget films because women can't handle big budgets and big teams like that and that to me is really shocking and that's where I think attitudes do need to change whereas I think in the UK we don't seem to have that, but maybe because we don't have Hollywood um, over here. But I haven't, I've never encountered anything like that over here. In fact, like, you know, Isabel says, I feel mm. like my gender is, is quite anonymous, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get to sit here and I get hired because hopefully someone likes what I've done, you know, my music, um, as opposed to 
you know my gender so um, so yeah it, I think there's a difference just between the Hollywood and, and what's happening here yeah I well, really think so as well definitely I think it does feel really different in the UK. I'm glad to hear that the UK is doing its bit there at least. <laughs> well done. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I have to wrap up unfortunately but could I ask you both briefly what you're up to next if you are working on anything next and what have you got coming up? Um, so I'm working on a Netflix young adult series called Fate the Wink Saga and it's um, by Brian Young, who created uh, The Vampire Diaries. So it's very much sort of fairies with magical powers, um, teenage angst, and it's quite dark and, and there are moments of horror, but it's really fun to score. And I'm also doing a series for Sky called Little Birds, which is based on Anae Nin's um, writings. And it's very uh, provocative and sexual and colourful and bold and crazy. And I've heard so, yeah, about that. I can't it. wait to see it. Brilliant. Um, Isabel? Oh my God, I can't wait to see both of those things. <laughs> they sound <laughs> wicked. They sound so good. They also sound very on brand for you. I have to say that they sound really good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh God, brilliant. Wicked. I've, I've just signed a record deal. So I'm, I'm about to sort of go into... Well, I've sort of started, but I'm going to spend the next uh, year probably writing an album and there are a couple of like sort of other things kind of kicking around but that is the main it is kind of amazing to be able to just like suddenly have a bit of space to kind of experiment and think well best of luck with all that and thank you both Isabel and Anne for joining Girls on Film it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show thank Thanks you so fun. much for having us it's been really fun oh, yeah it's been wicked Our next guest today is an Emmy and Academy Award-winning composer who has been scoring blockbuster films for over two decades, working alongside directors including Amara Sante and Mike Lee. Welcome, Rachel Portman. Thank you for having me. Now, Rachel, you've worked on so many incredible films like Never Let Me Go and Belle, and one of my personal favourites is Mike Lee's Life is Sweet, a bittersweet comedy drama starring Alison Steadman and Jane Horrocks. And the music works beautifully with that film. Can you speak about the concept for that? Yeah, I mean, working on that film was quite, a, it's, it's quite a tough one. I remember it being really quite tough to know what kind of music to write, because it could be anything or nothing, or, you know, it, it, it wasn't a film that naturally took music in, in, in the way that a drama might. It, it, it was sort of a lot of interiors sort of sitting around in, in sitting rooms and lots of talking. And yeah, it was, it was difficult to find the melody. And Mike, Mike Lee was um, hilariously, um, I remember it taking most of the composing time I had to come up with a theme. And he kept coming around and saying, nope, you know, that's not quite right. <laughs> and, uh, and when eventually, I mean, he's very specific what he wanted. He wanted a melody and he, he quite likes very simple melodies. And um, he didn't really mind how I how I orchestrated it, which was great. So I could have real fun with it. But um, um, eventually I got there and he came around one day and it was sort of like day, I don't know, it's about the seventh time he came around. And he said, yeah, yeah, I really like it. And he said, but could the, could the melody just do it? And he, there was one note where he hummed it a bit higher. I thought, right, that's fine. So we went with that. So no, it was good. He was, he was, he was great to work with, really good fun.
Now, you also wrote the score for Lynn Ramsey's debut feature, Rat Catcher, which I'm sure many of our listeners will know. It's a powerful and complex film about childhood, depicting youth without innocence and warmth in spite of hardship. Um, how did you engage with that very tricky balance in the score? Um, Rat Catcher is a really superb film. And um, I felt very strongly in that, that the music needed to back off. I mean, you know, it needed to be incredibly delicate. Um, so most of it is is sort of is is really really simple, and um, you know had this idea to use a prepared piano which we prepared ourselves, which is basically where you 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 put sort of nuts and bolts into the strings of the piano. So you're preparing it, but actually you're kind of breaking it, and um, and so that the music has that kind of slight broken quality to it of sort of like the main solo solo piano in there. And then there were a couple of bits where it opened up a, a bit more, which which, you know, I loved and longed for, and, and, and the film, you know, really took that. Rachel, you worked on a very wide range of films. Can you tell me a little bit about the differences between working on, say, an indie film versus a big-budget film? Big-budget... I would say there's a lot more. There's a lot more to, to and fro. There are many more, many more voices and people to please. I find I, you know, right. I, I find you know, and, and sort of, and but but each film is different, so you can't really generalize like that. But uh, you know, you you have the flexibility of a bigger orchestra, um, and probably probably the production time is going to take a lot longer. But that doesn't mean you're not going to be working just as hard because there'll be. A sort of greater pressure in a way because if, if it's a big studio film, they're different. I mean, with 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 um, smaller films, you have to record them much much more quickly as a rule. So you've got less money mm. to play around with. So you're in the studio. Not that you would ever sort of take things slowly anyway, as a matter of course. But but you, there's this pressure, especially nowadays with very with, with much less lower um, sort of budgets, where you have to really record a lot and get through it all really quickly. And obviously, budgeting is a big thing with um, lower budget films because you tend to be much more involved in the budgeting of it and, you know, making sure you don't go over um, what there is. So as a composer, how do you distribute a budget? Um, well, you know, you are, uh, as it were, sort of head of a department, the music department, as it were, of the score side of the music department. You, well, you have to break it down, you know, uh, in, into, well, you know, if you're going to, package it into which is where you get the whole budget and and the composer just says okay I'll get the whole music budget and out of that I take my fee I've got to pay for the conductor I've got to pay for the musicians the studio I've got to pay for the programming I've got to pay for the copyist the orchestrator and that's where all of the all the money goes and you know the pro tools rig and um so it's, it's quite quite a lot to sort of look at really so when you were younger, before you entered this trade, who were the composers that you admired? Gosh, I would have to say probably John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith, um, Elmer Bernstein, I suppose, American, really American um, composers. Do you have any particular favourite scores or scenes from films that our listeners can look out for and listen out for next time they watch that film? I, I, I'm very fond of To Kill a Mockingbird and... Mm -hmm. um, Alma Bernstein's score for that. I can't think of a specific scene in that because the whole the whole of the score is beautiful. But but he he captured something about innocence and childhood and um, you know growing up that was you know very very poignant in that. 
he wrote wonderful melodies and I'm interested in writing melodies. I love, I love being given, given the chance to write a melody in a film. So are factors like that something that influences you when you decide whether to say yes or no to a score, for example, if you can write a melody? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, say yes or no on the basis of, of whether I could write a melody or not, but I, but I would in terms of subject matter and whether I felt I had a connection to it. Um, that's not, yeah, whether I thought, you know, I was, you know, the right person for it. So would you ever turn a score down if you read the script and felt that it was, say, offensive to women or something like that? I definitely would. I would definitely turn mm. something down if, it, if I found it offensive to women. So how would you describe the gender balance in your field at the moment? It's not good. Although I come across so many young women composers and, you know, I talk to a lot of them uh, and they're highly skilled and very, very good at what they're doing and, you know, have their own in individual unique voices. It's surprising me that it's taking so long to, to reach some kind of parity. You know, the same is true in the classical world of, of composition that, you know, only now is it becoming the norm to hear female composers on classical music stations, radio stations. And it's, it's just, it, it's, it's like they've been in the shadows for years and years. I mean, I think it has changed in that now, you know, when I was starting out, there was nowhere really you could study film composition. Now there are, there are quite a few very, very good programs you can study. And they're obviously attracting you know, almost equal numbers of women and men. And so, yeah, yeah, so, so I, think, I think the stage is set for, um, to, to roll out a new, a new carpet, I really do, of, um, with a much more um, sort of balanced male-female take. Well, you've done very well in what at the time was particularly a man's world when you were starting out. Um, did you feel there were particular obstacles to overcome at that point, gender-wise? I don't think it was. I think it, it might have been an invisible challenge. And, and mm. I know that I got jobs, um, you know, and people may, I might have got them and they might have thought, well, that's a bit of a novelty, um, you know, to, but let's give her a go. I think I was hugely um, determined to do what I wanted to do and, and actually turned a blind eye to any, anything like that. And it was only when people started saying to me, hey, you know, you, you, how come there are so few that I that I started to sort of focus on it, really? I think it was just sort of determination. Well, you certainly sound very determined and successful. Uh, tell me what you're working on at the moment. Well, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know if I can share. I'm working, I'm working on a film for Disney at the moment. And, um, yeah, and I've just, I've got an album called Ask the River, um, which is my first solo album, which I wrote, mm -hmm. not, which is not um, film-related. It's all come, kind of come from me, and it, it has an environmental basis to it. So as you know, we're doing this show with Scala Radio. Uh, would you agree that film scores could be a good way to bring people into classical music? Yes, I do. I think film scores can be a way in to listening to classical music, especially as, you know, so many, so many of the players in the big orchestras and, you know, in chamber music also play on film. So it's a way for people's ears to tune into classical um, instruments, you know, and orchestras and strings and, you know, in, in a whole world that, you know, suddenly opens up. So I, th I think it's very beneficial in that way. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the girls on film listeners, especially anyone who's thinking of going into your field? Don't give up. It is possible, you know, to, to have a fantastic um, 
uh, life writing music for film. Um, and, it, and it is the most wonderful alchemy that happens when you write music and put it against film. My advice to anyone starting out would be to get as much experience as possible and write music for anything and everything. So, you know, whether it be a piece of theatre or student film or or whatever, but get a broad experience, a range of experience of writing in lots and lots of different styles. Great. Thank you so much for joining Girls on Film, Rachel. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. If you'd like to discover more about film schools, Mark Kermode's movie music show on Scala Radio always features a range of women composers, including music by my guests on this podcast. Join Mark every Saturday between 1 and 3, and you can listen back for seven days after broadcast via scalaradio.co.uk and also the free-to-download Scala Radio app. Thanks for listening to Girls on Film, and thanks to Heather Archbold of HLA Productions for producing, to Jenny Nelson for producing, to our intern, Heather Dempsey, and to Scala Radio. Girls on Film has a Patreon page where you can pledge a small amount each month to support us. Go to patreon.com forward slash girlsonfilmpodcast. Follow us on Twitter at girlsonfilm underscore pod and Instagram on girlsonfilm underscore podcast. Please subscribe and review us if you've enjoyed this episode and don't forget to check out our special film shows on the BFI's YouTube channel. Finally, a big thanks to Isabel Wallerbridge and Nicotin and Rachel Portman for joining us on our latest Girls on Film Isolation Pod in partnership with Scala Radio. Stay safe, everyone. Do you think I had better say no? Not for the world would I advise you either way. You must be the best judge of your own happiness. <laughs>